Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Rash, I'm going down the old battle cruiser. A couple of tiddly weeks, mate. Where's you coming? Yeah, mate, I'll just tell the old traveling stride. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Water Report podcast in association with the Southern Creek Soup Kitchen. Gavin, you join us in the aftermath of Southern's 3-1 victory at the stadium. Like a much needed win over Stoke City, Michael Beals, the least sweaty man in, in Wearside as as he <laughs> clings on a little bit longer. And uh, we're going to talk all about this performance and victory and how much better it feels to be talking about a win. And I'm joined by Martin. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Uh, three points makes a world of difference, really, doesn't it? It does indeed, and you're you're back on the other side of the world, aren't you? So you weren't there. So yeah. I think you're the curse, mate. You're not allowed back. I must be here. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> I, hey, you know what? If that's what it takes, I'll I'll do it. I'll take one for the team. Yes, but we won. That's the main thing, isn't it? And like I said, there, I think the most relieved man in the stadium will have been Michael Beale, who's been under fire this week. It's 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 fair to say that's you know been the case, and there's been a lot of a, a huge volume of of negativity and sort of people wanting rid of him this week and the club's stance never really changed. He's been allowed to crack on with his job on the training pitch and uh, picked a team which went on to win the game and I think the performance, to be honest, is the best one we've seen uh, since he came through the door. It's probably the best we've played in a little while and the players looked up for it and it was just nice to see us win a game of football without any drama, really. I know there was the the brief flirtation with, um, with them getting back into the game as they got a, a very daft weird goal on the back of it just coming off Seelton then um, they maybe had a couple of minutes after that goal where they were putting a bit of pressure on us and had they got another then I would have been very nervous but generally speaking that was a pretty good performance all around I can't think of a single single player who didn't play well I think generally the the, the team played well as a as a unit for once which it's it's been a bit like sort of you know relying on individuals recently not so much a, a team effort um, but overall, it was just a really pleasing win, wasn't it? And that's that's really what you expect to play like, and that's how you expect to win when you play a team who are right down the bottom of the league. And we haven't done that enough this season. So in that regard, progress, I would say, and uh, and like I said, a good three points. Very good three points, and as I say, it was a much-needed victory, wasn't it? And mm. you know, Stoke were in a similar position to us and that they changed their, their manager and I think Schumacher and Beal got appointed on the same day, didn't they? So they're kind of on yeah. the same sort of timeline, if you like, in terms of how they're, they're implementing things on, on the team and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think Schumacher was somebody who Sunderland fans would probably have been relatively happy with, with coming here. I was really happy for Michael Beal, to be honest. I know last week you and I sat after the whole game and we couldn't see any glimmer of hope whatsoever in the aftermath of that one. But we saw some today. Um, we saw some good performances. We saw the players. I think the players were playing for him. We saw some a bit of shape that we hadn't seen previously, and it was it was a convincing victory in the end. And you know, I'm I'm just really happy for him. Like you know, as I said last week, all of us. The one thing that we all want is for Sunderland to be winning on Saturday, and you know, I think that kind of should go without saying. Everybody, you know, regardless of what they think about the manager will be wanting the, the lads to win and to get that three points after the week. You know, he's had that week where, you know, people have been jumping on every word he said, everything the club says and, you know, putting a, an, a, an agenda on it or putting a spin on it, putting some negativity on it. And you, you can pick holes in anything, but ultimately all that matters, sorry, what matters the most really is is how we play on the Saturday, how we 
we perform and getting three points. And, you know, I thought we we did pretty well. The game that kind of ebbed and flowed a bit, wasn't it? Like, I think we started pretty well. Then they had a, a spell and they had a few good chances where they could have taken the lead. And obviously, if that had happened, it would have been a different story altogether, wouldn't it? But you know, thankfully, they didn't. And I'm just hoping that, you know, this gives a bit of breathing space to Beal, to the club, to get the transfer window sorted out, get some new players coming in, new player, you know, two or three new players coming in with a bit of bounce around the place going into the Borough game. And, you know, hopefully it just, it, it's a game that can draw the line under what's gone on over the past few weeks and we can look forward because, you know, getting bogged down in every bloody word a manager's saying, every word that comes out. You know, I saw people criticising the club for putting a statement out about Pritchard yesterday. Like, some people will just jump on anything to to spin it out negatively, and I think we just need to move on from it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I was on Friday Night Live briefly on, on our Twitter space. Phil asked us, you know, how I kind of feel about everything. And I was, at that point, I was thinking about not even going to this match, just because I... All, and, and I don't really immerse myself in it too much. Like I, I've generally kept away from the social media and, and 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 all of what's gone on. But I've really struggled this week with just witnessing everything and not being particularly happy with it and thinking, God, I, my thought going into the game was, do I really want to stand there while it just goes toxic and vile in there? And that's the way it could have gone had we not turned up. But what was what was good was was that the game plan was spot on. The players looked up for it and, you know, there was no need for it to get toxic. And I think that proves that providing we, we play well and that we, you know, everybody grafts and everybody does their job, that there would be, you know, nobody's going to get on their backs because there was no negativity really in the ground. I would say at nil-nil, there were a few moans and groans at misplaced passes and uh, as happens, and may, maybe it was a little bit heightened, but I would say generally the atmosphere on the ground was pretty good um, pretty supportive and that, you know, there was no real reason for anybody to get on that case. And that's really all Beal can do from his perspective is, is is win games of football. If we keep winning games of football, nobody's going to be complaining. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm happy for him. You know, I'm not in the camp who are just so viscerally hateful towards him that they just want him gone, in, you know, whatever way is possible to get rid of him. I'm, I'm not in that camp. I didn't want him particularly. Still not convinced. One win's not really changed anything in that regard for me, other than that I think it's probably the best we've played under him, which is progress. There were things in the performance, and then you subsequently listen to Mason Burstow after the game, talk about things they've worked on in training this week. Um, I think the shape was slightly different, and we'll come on to all of this. But those are all things that we've done, and he's had a part in. So so from that sense, yeah, I'm happy for him, because for me, as long as he's our manager or our head coach, his success is our success. If if we're winning games and it keeps him happy and it keeps the fans happy, it's all good, you know? And this may prove to be, it could be a pivotal moment in the season because it could be really important for the way we go forward from here. It could also just be a footnote, really, and we go to Middlesbrough next week and get beaten. Nobody will remember beating Stoke. That's just the way things are. But but as a performance, you know, I, I was really, really happy with it. I, I mean, I'll go into the, the aspects of, of the performance I enjoyed in a bit. But the, the team which he lined up with, and, and I don't know about you, when I saw the team, I wasn't sure, if I'm honest, because I wasn't really convinced by playing Jensen Seal right back last week, and I was hoping yeah. for more with. He played again there. On paper, when you look at the team written down, it didn't look very different. You know, Abdullah Bar came back in. Burstow started up front, who prior to two today had never scored for Sunderland. So you're looking at that and thinking, bloody hell. So everybody when I, who I was with in the pub groaned when they saw the team. You couldn't help but but groan. And obviously the big news, kind of like an hour before that team was picked, was that Alex Pritchard has basically played his last game for Sunderland, has refused to be a part of the team, which took part in the Stoke game, all to do with his, with his own future, I guess. You know, we know that they've offered him a contract from what we believe. It, it's a one-year deal on the same money. He wants a longer deal, maybe wants more money. He's got offers on the table. I presume there's been some sort of breakdown in talks and then he's refused to play. So he didn't feature. And then you look at the bench, that gave an opportunity for some of the young'uns to come on. Uh, ben Crompton came on the bench. Thomas Watson came on the bench. Obviously, Rig got off the bench during the game. So it did create opportunities, but the team selection as a whole was largely uninspiring. And we'll come on to maybe why, you know, first impressions don't always count because 
when you watch the game, we did set up very differently, I thought, to how we normally do, which, again, we'll come on to. But just to get your thoughts on the team selection and then the news that Pritchard has effectively, you know, he's going to leave. What did you make of that when you when you heard it? I think it's really disappointing. I think it's really disappointing from from him. It hasn't he hasn't seemed very happy, has he? Over the past few weeks, we've seen him being animated in in conversations with with the bench over over recent weeks, and he's he's sort of cut quite a frustrated figure on, on the pitch on occasion. But you know, he's he's somebody who's come back into the team over the past few weeks, and you know, he's he's done he's done well in recent games. But you know, he's he's somebody who you know, obviously we we signed him. What, two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. and he's he's been quite important for us to get getting out of League One, but he, he didn't really feature that heavily last year, and he was kind of on the periphery of things for for large spells. And I, I listened to stuff Nick Barnes put out after the game, and you know his take on it is that you know Pritchard wanted to leave in the summer. It wasn't the case of the club wanting him out. Pritchard wanted to leave in the summer, and nobody wanted to sign him. So he's got a situation now where he's been offered a year's contract extension because he's as an experienced player he, he's influential around around the place and all that sort of stuff and he's he's turned it down because he's got better options on the table and you know there's a part of you can can understand it to an extent if he's got you know a two and a half deal on the table elsewhere he's got a game today he's going to be leaving next week he might he probably doesn't want to get injured and risk that two and a half year deal and you can kind of understand that but the way it kind of is sort of transpired and if if it's right that he's refused to play, then I think that kind of leaves a quite a bad taste in your mouth, and it kind of sullies his whole time here at the club. I think it kind of mm-hmm. it puts a, a bit of shade over his, his whole time. So it's a shame because he's somebody who you know he obviously cares about playing for Sunderland. He's been I say he's been influential on the field, hasn't he? He's been a talisman for us on occasion. Certainly in League One, he was somebody he was he's a one player who who would pull something out of the bag at certain points for us. But yeah, it's, I think it's a shame that's kind of ended like this, and he'll obviously be off. And now, where he's going to, we'll wait and see next week, won't we? He's been linked with a move yeah. to Turkey. He's been linked with a move to Birmingham to rejoin Tony Mowbray, which is kind of a strange one because Mowbray rarely picked him <laughs> consistently, did he? So it's a it's a funny one to to contemplate. But I think it's just a shame. And I expected him to play against Stoke. I thought he'd be in the team. I thought Job would come out. But you know, you've you've once you've got that established, and I think that you know that was probably clear. This week that Pritchard wasn't going to be going to be playing. I think you know, Speakman um saying that we'd we'd offered him a year's contract was probably a preemptive strike to this news coming out. So it you know it looked as if the club had acted positively before Pritchard decided to leave. But yeah, I must admit it was it was a sealed selection that I wasn't happy with. And I think, you know, when we when we spoke last week and Silt played against Hull, I actually really like him as a player. I think he looks a good player, he looks tidy. He can bring the ball out. I think he'd be a really, really good centre-half. And I think, if I'm correct, we'll probably see that next weekend because Ballard picked up a yellow card at the end no, of no, the game. No, no, no. Is that I think, not right? No, somebody, somebody else looked into that and I think one of the cards he picked up was in the cup. Oh, was that? Well, that's good. Yeah, so he's, he's on nine. But he, he is walking that tightrope. We'll see Silt at centre-half sooner yeah. rather than later, won't we? Well, because... not, not just Ballard, but all nines also. They're It'll both walking the tightrope. So we're going to see him that's there right. soon. Now, I would really like to see him there because he looks like a centre-half playing full-back, doesn't he? And, you know, this is no slight on him, but I would rather see somebody else play at full-back. I'd rather have seen Pembele getting the run out because I think even against Hull for 10 or 15 minutes, however long he was on, we saw that width that um, he can bring. And, you know, we seriously lacked width on the right-hand side last week, didn't we? So, yeah, I think that was the the key... Thing. First up front, I could kind of understand. You know, we haven't had a striker who's really fired when when they've been given the chance. Yeah, Rusin got a goal against Preston, um, hasn't followed it up since. Struggled a bit against Hull, but I don't think it was his fault. I think he was making really good runs. And I think, like you know, if you take Burstow's goal out of things yesterday, you know, again, I'm delighted for him to get a goal because you know he's visibly struggled, hasn't he, at times? But you know, I think as a team, we're still unused to playing with a striker. So you've got a centre forward making all these really good runs, and if you watch Burstow and you watch Rusin last week, off the ball and making some brilliant runs, and we're just not picking them out quick enough with our pass. So that's something that they obviously need to work on in in training. I'm sure they are because we've gone through such a long period of time without playing with a recognised striker, so we've had to adapt to a different way of playing. 
But mm-hmm. you know, I think it, yeah, it was a fullback one that was the, the questionable team selection. But I think it was interesting when the team lined up because we had a, a different shape in midfield, didn't we? I think that was the kind of the key yeah. change that we saw from the whole game. Yeah, it was. It was more of a four-three-three than what we've seen recently, and it was Ekwa kind of going out of the right-hand side and giving support to Bar, which I found that that, that was a really interesting one, particularly given Ekwa's mostly left-footed. There was a couple of times when he had to use his right foot and he didn't look comfortable, but it was just the way that we overloaded the sides and Dan Neal played as that holding midfielder, Bellingham out on the left, and it's probably the best the three of them have played in a long time. Yeah, I would agree. It's the first. It's the first time the three of them have looked really comfortable in that trio. We've seen it with Equa sitting in front of the defence, and I think I think you can draw a line under that now. He's not a holding midfield player, I don't think. No. You look at him here, he plays a lot further forward and he's he has probably his best game, certainly since we played Southampton and gets a goal and is pretty influential. Job's best game in a long time, obviously people have been calling for him to get dropped. He plays a slightly different role and looks more comfortable. And then Dan Neal, I thought he ran the game from, from where yeah. he played. And I couldn't help but think back to the, the Stoke game last season where we got absolutely battered at the stadium. <laughs> and the big thing coming up, I remember doing the podcast after the game and we talked about we talked about how their midfield just overrun us. And I think, I can't remember who the lads were, but I think it was Josh Laurent. Smallbone, wasn't it? The last Smallbone, yes. And Pearson. I don't think any of those players played today. They didn't. Just looking at their bench now and Pearson was an unused sub. The other two, I think, I think um, obviously Smallbones back at Southampton, and I don't know where the other lad is. So, so none of them played in this game. But regardless, when I think back to that game, I think about how we got overran in midfield, and it was important that we got the got the tactics spot on in this one because largely the same group of players were playing against as when we last played Stoke. So you know, I, I just think that was really, really key, and the way that when we had the ball, we made the the wing play count without having to actually play with a lot of width was really interesting because it's not like Barr was like going wide and whipping it in. It wasn't like Seal was bombing past him and, and overlapping and Clark did what Clark does. He just cut inside and I mean, we'll come on to that, but oh, Jenny, he, he had, he, he had the time of his life down that side, but it wasn't like Hume overlapped. So it's weird because we've been talking about how we need to play with more width and we managed to find a way of playing where we didn't use more width yet still look pretty creative from out wide. And it's, you know, we're talking about people having their best games in a while. Bar, probably his best performance in the Sunderland shirt for me. Brilliant. He was brilliant. brilliant. Absolutely yeah. outstanding. Two assists and a goal. That's more than what Roberts has done all season. Roberts has one assist, no goals. Bar gets two assists and a goal in this one. Showing his worth. You know, we were, we were wondering why he got dropped against Hull. And then Beal brings him back in. Any players like that, and and I thought him and Ekwer in particular really worked well together. But it wasn't just that; it was just the whole unit seemed to be more cohesive. It felt like the look, it it felt like the players who were out there were more comfortable. And you mentioned Burstow before. I think it, that inclusion was probably the most important of them all because even when he hasn't got the ball, he runs like a striker, and he isn't perfect. Like he's nowhere near, he's nowhere near sort of what I would expect of him. But just I kind of touched on this when we played Rotherham when he when he came off the bench. He, a lot of people after that game, mainly people who weren't there to be fair, so you might not have seen much of what I saw in the ground in terms of his movement. But a lot of people slated him after that game, just said, "Oh, he done nothing." But it, I was watching him and thinking, just having him on the pitch gave the centre half something to think about. It gave us a long ball option. It, it it gave us space. And you watch the goals back that we scored today. The first one comes from a long ball up the Burstow, which I don't even think he wins it, but he, he kind of backs into his man yeah. and the ball drops and then we win the seconds and it goes wide to Clark and then we attack from there and we score. And that all came from just a long ball up to him where he where he was basically being a nuisance and the defender couldn't get control of the ball. I think the second goal too, he plays a part in that with the way he links up. So having him on the pitch was really important to how he played, whether he touched the ball or not it meant we had something to hit. And there was a well, couple of right. times as well yeah. where we had a ball where we had to sort of just get out and we got it up to him and we, he did hold it up. And I think it helped Bellingham a lot as well because there's been the heavy reliance on Bellingham to hold it up in yeah. recent games and he's he struggled a little bit. Um, but it took some of that reliance off him and it, I just 
I just thought the team shape as a whole was a lot better. Just bringing in Barr, making the midfield more compact, but also when we had the ball, making use of their attacking strengths by letting them go wide and link up, and then having a, a guy up front who can win the ball. And obviously, Burstow's goal was a pretty scruffy one, but like I said, he was involved from the start of it. It was actually a decent team move in the end, and I'm over the moon he scored because it's a similar kind of discussion to what we were talking about before with, with Michael Beale about how, you know, kind of we, we just want them to do well because it means that we're doing well. And it's the same with yeah. Burstow. Like, at, there's been times this season where I'm like, it's just never going to work with him. Send him back to Chelsea. Don't get it. But watching this, you can kind of see signs that this could possibly work. If no, we play could. like if we play like we did today in that style, I can totally see the sense in, in Mason Burstow being here. I know he's not our player, but we're kind of clutching at straws at the minute. And maybe he's coming to form at the right time when they're maybe scratching around in the transfer market trying to find somebody. And from what Christian Speakman said, there's not a great deal out there. Maybe it's the right time for him to come into form and just show everybody what he can actually do. So yeah, I I'd, I was really happy with the team shape. And like I said, I just I hope we don't tinker too much from here. I think we've really stumbled on something with the way that we set up. And I don't know what Stoke's preparation for this game was like, but to me, they didn't really have an answer to what we what we kind of had when we went forward. I thought they really struggled with the way we overloaded. They did, and I think it was a midfield shape that, that was interesting, wasn't it? As you say, with Equa playing sort of on the right and Bellingham on the left, and you kind of wonder whether that is part of, um, you know, we heard about Beal not really liking width too much and preferring to sort of play in that inner third of the pitch, if you like. And having Equa on the right and Bellingham on, on the left enables them to come inside and, and cut inside. And obviously we saw that with um, Equa's goal to an extent, didn't we, where he was on that right-hand side, was able to get shift onto his left and get a shot in. I just had a look there when you, you were talking about the game last season. You know, Stoke only had two players in the, you know, bearing in mind it's less than a year ago, they only had two players who started the last game, the 5-1, in the starting lineup yesterday. Oh dear! And well, there's me. We, there's we only, me saying it's not that different. <laughs> well, I know I was. I was. I was having a look at that because you know there, there was only Campbell and um, Wilmot, I think, who played yesterday, who, who played yeah. in that game. So you see the, the the rate of change that Alex Neal had tried to put in at Stoke, and obviously the, it's changed enormously in terms of the starting eleven. But we only had Patterson, Hume, Ballard, Dan Neal, and Jack Clark in our start. So we only had five players. Who started right. that fixture last year? Starting for us, obviously Bath, Ahmad, and Gelhart have all um, departed. Pritchard's driving down the the A one as we speak. <laughs> Elise and Roberts are injured, aren't they? So you know we've um, both sides were significantly changed from the fixture last season. Who played in midfield with Dan Neal that day? By the way, I can't remember. Pritchard. Yeah, me. Remember we set up as a set up as a two with Pritchard yeah. and Dan Neal, and we just got completely overrun. So look the. There's an awful lot of change, but I think when you're looking at signs for a bit of a blueprint going forward, I think that, that shape in midfield is absolutely crucial to, to get right. And that, that's been a, a problem, I think, all season. We haven't quite got that shape right. I thought Joe put his best performance for probably since the Leeds game. He, I thought he was great. What if he that's because his brother was there again watching him, a bit of pressure? Well, he he was at the <laughs> Coventry game, wasn't he? And he, he, didn't, yeah. <laughs> he didn't do too much. So never mind me being a bad omen. I was thinking... Jude Bellingham was a bad <laughs> omen. Um, but look, I, th- I thought Job was great. And it was that point in the second half, wasn't he, where he just he t- did that turn and he-, he left three of their players for dead, where he sort of got yeah, the ball in the centre circle and progressed. Mm-hmm. And I-, I thought he just showed some real touches of quality and that, w- that was great to see. I think, you know, naturally with the-, the two fullbacks that we had against Stoke, regardless of anything else that happens, regardless of team shape, regardless of instruction, you're not going to get that width because... You must play on his wrong side and Silt's a centre-half playing at full-back. Mind having said that, I would say Silt done pretty well going for the best he's looked going forward. He, he, he did. He, he tried to provide, but he's not going to provide naturally, right? No. So it's going to be a, a thing he's, he's kind of thinking about. He did that one overlapping run where he crossed it and it nearly hit he the corner flag went, on the other side. Well, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, it'll be, it'll be really interesting once we get... Now, you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a full-back arrive... This week, because I think we need a left back to fill like, the gap that you know the injuries to Elise and Sirkin have have left. Because I don't and think Huggins, they're going to be back yeah. anytime. And and Huggins, of course. And I think you know if you put two full backs 
two genuine fullbacks playing on the correct sides into that system, you get even more out of it. Yeah, and I think absolutely. we're kind of seeing that shape that Beal will, will try to go for. And as I say, like, look, Burstow, I think all credit to him. I think he, he tried everything yesterday, got a goal, um, got his rewards, off the ball stuff was good. And, you know, regardless of whether it's him for the rest of the season or somebody like him, I think that style of centre forward is going to be really important to how we play in this system. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, I think, you know, as I say, I've said a few times, but credit to him, Michael Beale said after the game, like Burstow was all in at Sunderland. He wants to succeed. He's out after training, doing his finishing practices, putting the, the hard work in. We've heard stories from training, haven't we, where, you know, Burstow was scoring till, you know, till mm. the cows come home because he, he, he's such a good natural finisher. And we haven't seen that at all on the pitch until yesterday. And, and look, his goal was scrappy. It kind of went in off their defendedness, but hopefully that'll give him a bit of confidence. And you can see in the celebration how happy he was to get off the mark. It must be a real weight off his shoulders. Yeah, yeah there was. He, he celebrated pretty quickly, then his teammates mobbed him. And then after yeah. he was mobbed, he faced back towards the south stand and was throwing his arms about. And just. You could see there was a lot of frustration coming out in that. And to be fair, he came to Sunderland, you know, probably thinking given he'd been getting a little bit of game time with Chelsea in their first team, probably thinking he was going to just hit the ground running and be, you know, I imagine he would have set himself goals and by this point in the season, he probably would have expected to have scored quite a few by now. Yeah. And he just, he hasn't settled yet. And I'm not saying like this is the, you know, he could, he, this could just be it for him. You know what I mean? He might not score another goal for us. I'm, I'm not convinced that he's a, a, a real goal scorer, but what it, does do is it lifts his confidence. It lifts everybody else's confidence in him because the other thing with strikers is that the players around that striker need to be able to trust them. I think that was a big part of why Ross Stewart was so successful here was yeah. because the players around him trust them. They knew we put the ball in that area, Ross Stewart's going to get it. Ross Stewart's going to do something with it. He's going to get us up the pitch. And that, that that is such a big thing that when you've got lads just basically rotating out of that position as we've had all season, you, you can't build up that confidence and belief in one another and the style of play and the patterns and things because the way things have been the last few weeks, Burstow could well get dropped against Middlesbrough. It wouldn't surprise you. But <laughs> but like I'm I'm hoping this is it for him now when he kicks on because I'm just I'm sure you're the same and I'm sure most people listen. We're just sick of talking about this problem with strikers. And and I I will say this as well. You mentioned um Burstow talking about things we've worked on in training. And I, I, it was noticeable, the amount of crosses that Clark was making in particular. Yeah. He was trying to cross the ball a lot more than he normally would. He was oh. using he was using the outside of his right boot. He was When Gooch was continually showing him onto his left foot, he was just using his left foot. Yeah. But he was getting balls into the box. And yeah, not all of them came off, but it was noticeable that we were trying to put balls in that area. And what I would say is, is that that is the big thing. Anybody watching Sunderland this season can see the problem. We're not creating enough chances we get into dangerous areas and we hang on to it and we play it all around the edge of the box and then they get back and they get organised and then you can't cut in behind and you can't make really simple chances for strikers, which is what we struggled yeah. with all season. But today in this game, I think it was noticeable. We were just trying to get the ball up with Burstow a lot quicker and everybody benefited as a result. The other thing on Burstow I would like to add, and again, I mean, I've just watched the highlights back before we recorded and Maybe in the extended highlights, you'll see they say a bit more of this, but for Barr's goal, Burstow's run is what really creates the space. So, you yeah. know, Clark's hanging onto the ball, and in real time, it just felt like a really straightforward goal. Clark passes it, Barr runs onto it, goal, great. But what you don't don't really maybe take notice of until you say it back a few times, Burstow makes a run which takes the defender away from that bit of space, which Barr then yeah. exploits. Again, those runs, that movement, that makes the rest of the team look good. And those were all things Ross Stewart used to do. And I'm not saying that we were expecting Burstow to be like Ross Stewart. It's just nice to have somebody in that position who does that. And we saw that a little bit with Roosan earlier in the season. Um, I can't remember which game it was now, but he made a really good... I think it was Dan Neal's goal. But Daniel, when he lifted over the goalkeeper, there was yeah, a run yeah, from yeah. Roosan around the back, which... so that. That's the type of run you don't get when you play Oshish, Pritchard, Dak That's in that exactly position. Right. It's it's a totally different job. You can put players up there who, who can get you the scrappy goals and all the rest of it, but 
that movement, that natural yeah. thing which strikers have. You just can't you can't expect that from attacking midfield players. So yeah, chuff for Burstow, chuff for Bar, Bar the way he played and the way he finished. It's just it was lovely to see. It was, and you're right with Clark. And there was actually a few times where he he should have shot, and he he chose to cross it. You know, there was once in the first half and once in the second, certainly where it really opened up for him. And this season, especially, he would just curl out into the, into the corner. Yeah. And he passed it up to try to to set somebody else up. But you know, Clark had an absolute field day, didn't he? Against Lyndon Gucci, oh. he absolutely ripped into shreds. I, I saw I saw the Wizards of Drivel podcast, which is a Stoke podcast on yeah. on Twitter. They tweeted something along the lines of "Is is Lyndon Gucci a secret agent for for Sunderland?" It was something <laughs> like that. With you know, pick your allegiances or whatever it is, because yeah. it was bizarre. Just well, I thought he was a canny character and clearly loved Sunderland, but I thought it was right to sell him when we did. And you kind of watch that performance and think, yeah, you can see why we maybe moved on from him. I don't know whether uh, the emotion of the occasion was a bit too much and. I felt sorry for him in the end. Clark Rinson. That's the most I've seen somebody get done by Clark this season. He is, but he's playing against, you know, probably the best, if not one of the best wingers in the championship, isn't he? So he's he's got a hard task to do. Yes. And he's not and, he's not a natural defender. No, and Clark will have been well up for that because he's old yeah. teammate, you know. No, but right. I, I, it was it was just funny to watch because Gooch was like showing him onto his left foot continuously and Clark was just knocking it past him and crossing it with his left foot. Yeah. He wasn't bothered. It was like, all right, you're going to show us on me left foot, are you? Okay, I'll just get past you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, very easy. No, yeah, it, yeah. I think that's Clark's most effective game for, for a while. And it was really good to see that we weren't just giving the ball to Clark and hoping he could do something. You know, Barr was taking responsibility. And I thought, you know, we touched upon it earlier, but I thought Barr was, was tremendous. Probably his best game in the Sunderland shirt. But even for his goal, it started off with him getting the ball and spraying out a lovely ball to to Clark, mm-hmm. um, and then he made the run, he pelted into the box to, to get to the end of Clark's pass, and I thought he, he had a great game. I thought, you know, you could pick players individually, but as you said at the start, I don't think anybody had a an off day. You've got, you know, they've got the full-back situation, which I think, as we've covered, would be improved with, with having naturally sort of left or, or right-footed players playing there, natural full-backs. Midfield shape was great, and, you know, that's not to say it was a perfect performance. They had a number of chances in the first half to take the lead. And, you know, really, I know their manager wasn't happy with their finishing. Yeah. Certainly after the game, was he? And I think against another side, we could have been 2 0 up before we scored. We could have been 2 0 down before we scored. Yeah. And I think you could, you know, the, the same thing probably goes in a lot of championship games, doesn't it? Where it's a team who actually takes advantage of a situation, gets to, to go on with the game, the good teams will. But that, that game could have gone either way. And I think that might have just been the stars aligning for us a little bit because you know, Patterson made a couple of good saves. They had you know, 9 cleared one off the line, didn't yeah, he? And that was a brilliant clearance, that. It was. So I think we were a little bit fortunate to still have a clean sheet before we, we got that opening goal. Yeah, we were. We were, let's, you know, spoke a lot about how happy I am with the performance, but they had the chances. I'm looking now, they had 15 shots, apparently. I mean, it did feel like they had quite a few chances, but the other way to look at it is, whilst, yes, they had chances, our defence did its job, which, you know, you haven't been able to say a great deal recently. Patterson, as you mentioned, had a couple of good saves and 0-9 on the line. I thought Ballard was brilliant defensively again today. Their striker really never got a sniff, but they did yeah. have chances. And I think that's when we were talking about the shape before, about it being more of a 4-3-3, you know, your traditional 4-3-3 with two central midfielders playing basically two positions kind of going wide and playing centrally. The only thing with that is it does leave you wide open at times. And I think yeah. better teams maybe would have exploited that. But I think you're right. I think maybe one of the flaws of Beale's reign to date, bar this game, has been that, yes, he's tried to make us a little bit harder to beat, but we've substituted too much of the flair for maybe the boring side of it. And yeah. organisationally, it hasn't really worked. I think when you, particularly when you're the home team and you're playing against whatever they are in the league, like nineteenth, twentieth, or whatever it is, you can you can kind of afford to take risks. I think because particularly in his position, like today, there was if he went out and we played really defensively, really rigid, like we did against Hull. Really, like I know we had lots yeah. of the ball, but we never really looked like hurting Hull. Whereas in with this game, I think we we took a few more risks with the way we played. 
I, I think the players we've got enjoy that. You can see they prefer playing that way. Like Ekwar and Barr in particular and Bellingham. You can see they're quite like playing on the edge. Sometimes they'll try those fancy flicks and the, yeah. the, the passes around the corner and stuff and they don't come off and then the crowd get on their case or whatever. But they like playing that way. They like they like to do that because when it comes off, it's great and it's a good feeling. You could, especially when we went two 0 up, the confidence just lifted and they were trying things they would never have dared try at nil nil. So you you do have to play on the edge a little bit sometimes just to make sure that you know when you play teams like to be fair Stoke are poor they're, they're shite. If you can't do it against the poor team at home, when are you going to do it? So yeah. I, I'm quite happy that you know yes we were wide open at times and they had chances, but. I think when when you go toe to toe with most teams, and this this was the case last year, particularly in the second half of the season when we were playing against pretty much anybody, I felt like when we were wide open, but we went toe to toe with teams, more often than not we came out on top because we're better than most teams when we do that. It's when we try to play a style of football that doesn't suit us that we look stupid and we make mistakes. Yeah. So like, no, I was really happy with that. To be honest, I was really happy with just going out there and expressing ourselves a little bit more. And yeah, I mean that was a bit of a leg up with Gooch, to be fair. Like, I think Clark <laughs> really just had the run of that side of the pitch. And no, it must've been, it must've been surreal for the Stoke fans. He basically played probably as bad as I've seen anybody play this season against us. Bless him. And then gets a, a round of applause from the entire crowd in the, in the Sunland end and people singing his name and stuff. And he's crying as he walks off the pitch and, but <laughs> it just must have it must have been surreal for them because imagine like our one of our players having the worst game of the season against yeah. the boyhood club where you know it could have been worse from as well because there was that one where Clark robbed him of the ball and Clark probably should have scored. Ah, that's right. Yeah, could have been worse. And then yeah, you know you're watching him get a hero's reception from the home fans. I imagine he's not um, top of the Christmas card list in Stoke at the minute. He's going to have to do a bit of making up in the in the coming games for Stoke, but. Uh, yeah, generally, just a really happy, happy performance, which it seems a bit weird after the week we've had. I can't believe we're talking like this. It's just been such a stressful week as a fan. Like it's been oh, awful, it has, to be honest, it Martin. And it, like, we'll not go too much into it because I know the meeting minutes from the collective meeting came out, and to be honest, there wasn't much in it really. There's obviously been the Pritchard stuff. There's been the whole bail out thing trending on Twitter this week. Um, Speakman coming out and talking about talking about how we're, we're kind of just waiting for other clubs to move before we can get deals done in the transfer market. And it's just a, a tough competitive market this year. So there's been quite a lot of sort of malaise and, and, and negativity and just, I didn't have a good feeling coming in. It's, as I said at the very top, I even considered not going because I just felt like it was going to, it was inevitable. It was going to turn toxic and be horrible. So I'm so glad I'm sat here and talking about a win because <laughs> I just feel on top of the world. Like, I just love my team and I, I just want to see them win games of football. I couldn't give a shit who the manager is if we're winning games. But to be fair to Michael Beale, as we've said repeatedly through this, this was a big, big game for him and a big test and fair play. He passed with flying colours on this occasion. I mean, imagine the pressure on him had we lost this. Yeah. Uh, he, he might not have had a job. I, I, I was kind of expecting, if we, if we get beat three or four, as we've seen against Stoke before, I was thinking bloody hell he might not have a job by Sunday. But he we won. It totally changes the perspective on everything. And then we go to Middlesbrough maybe with a bit of bit less pressure on us or, or at least a bit less edge to our performance. And that's what makes this all feel a lot better and how I'm I'm sort of a bit more relaxed tonight. Well, it just means that you go in the Middlesbrough game just a little bit calmer, aren't you? Just a little yeah, bit yeah. Mm-hmm. you know the players will be a little bit more confident and They'll be confident more in the in the system that we're trying to play and what you know the things that Beale is, is asking them to do. But you know, we saw Beale come out fighting pretty much in his press conference this week, didn't he? he was on the on the front foot. He was putting his point across and I think he was correcting a lot of what he was saying. I think people have picked up on a few a few bits, like the outside noise and all that sort of stuff. Um, which I don't necessarily think he um he meant in a negative way about the supporters, just all of the buzz that goes on around the, the club and around football, and he's got to concentrate on, on his job. And that's mm-hmm. you know, coaching the players and getting the best out of them. And, you know, I think we saw the team come out with a bit of fight against Stoke. I think they had the bit between the teeth, and we saw a sort of slightly different body language to what we saw against Hull as well. They were taking on the challenge and right, rose to the challenge. So, look, I think 
you take it for what it is. It's a, a good three points against a, you know, as you say, a pretty poor team. You know, they've obviously made the, the change of manager based on results. They're 19th in, in the league after the game against us. We're level on points with Coventry. Coventry are sixth, we're seventh. You know, it's not all bad, is it? So you've got no. a nice platform to go into the Borough game. And, you know, we could get on a nice little run because after that we've got Plymouth. And all of a sudden, mm. you know, you and I talked after the whole game going, shit, we've got Stoke at home. We've got <laughs> stuff 5-1 off them last season. Then we're going to Millsbury. We never do well there. Then we got Plymouth. And to be honest, if he if we got beat against Stoke and you lose the Borough game, then talked about it, and we kind of struggle to justify keeping things the way they are. But, you know, you've got a bit of confidence in, in what we're doing now. And if we can go to the Borough game and get... Even get a point. They go at Burr and get a point, which recently don't do well there. But you know, good performance, get a point, come into the Plymouth game, beat them, and all of a sudden you're looking towards the you know the last 14, 13 games of the season, looking at the those you know, fifth and sixth places in the playoffs. I think the top four have gone, but you've got two playoff places to to chase, and we're probably one of what seven or eight clubs who were probably looking at those last two playoff places. Yeah, and you can get a little bit of momentum, and I think if we can get a couple of players in um, this week before the transfer deadline shuts, we said earlier I think a fullback's probably required, and we're hoping a centre forward will come in and probably uh, another midfielder just to reinforce that central midfield side of things. But if we can get three players who are ready to step into the first team and perform, then you're looking at the rest of the season going. If we can just let things calm down, you know, and hopefully this result buys. Everybody, some time just calms things down, removes that that noise, as Michael Beale would would say, just dampens that a little bit, and you know, concentrate on the football because, bar the the Newcastle debacle, they've kind of earned our trust with the vast majority of things that they've, they've done over the past three years that they've been here, and you know, there's got to come to a point where we we kind of just trust them on this, and go with it and see where see where it takes us, because mm. as we said continuously, ultimately, if we win on the pitch then everything else becomes relatively irrelevant. Absolutely. Yeah, and like I say, it's going to be a big week. The transfer window wraps up this week and there's nothing happening as we as we speak across the board anyway. Like, not just at Sunderland. Like, I don't know how many transfers there's really been quiet. in the Premier League, but when, I, when yeah. I was looking, there was something like six transfers in the Premier League. There might have been more since I looked. But that kind of tells you everything because everybody's waiting for the clubs at the top top of the table to make their moves. So then the, there's a trickle down effect and the players become available. And until that happens, really the fat chance of anybody moving anywhere, unless you're prepared to pay over the odds. Yeah. So like, but yeah, I, I imagine that's going to ramp up as, as we get closer to deadline day, maybe even on deadline day. So there's that coming, the Middlesbrough game, which is it a derby? Isn't it a derby? You know, I, I don't really care what it is. They think it's a derby. And I always say this, but as long as Middlesbrough take it like a derby and 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 prepare for it like a derby and then play it like a derby, we have to be up for it, whether we think yeah. it is or not. So that's a big game. That's a massive game. It's a big game for Beal because if we go there and 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 we can't follow up this great performance with a another great performance, and I would still count battling and getting a point at Middlesbrough as a good performance because away from home against a team we normally struggle against, against a team who are going to be doing everything to beat us because they really want their three points. I would class a point as a good result if that was the way the performance went. So, yeah, you know, if, if we if we get four points out of these two games, we've got three already, I'd be pretty happy with that. And I think it's it, it's good going into the, the rest of the sort of season after the transfer window shuts. So it's a massive week because if we go to Borough and we don't, we don't turn up, like I said, it puts all that pressure back on Beal, back on the club. The feeling's all negative again. Because you know what it's like when things aren't going well on the pitch, it heightens the frustrations about everything. And like we've there has been that feeling over the last week or so where because we were we've been in bad form, just everything which has come out has just been so negative. And I can understand some of it. Like definitely understand some of it. But what I'm saying is is that you do kind of forget about these things when you're winning games because all people we're, we're sitting here now and me and you are buzzing because we've because we were talking about Sun and winning a game. Ultimately, that's all I'm really asked about. I just want to see my team win games of football, no matter how we get there. Um, yeah. And and that's the that's the same for the vast majority of people. We're not. You, you kind of do get bogged down in all the off the pitch stuff, and 
it's only really been sort of the last five or six years of my life where I've really been that embroiled in it. Maybe towards the end with Ella Short and then during the Donald era and then this. But it kind of feels like you get re- you do get really into the, the, the stuff off the pitch. And I, and I said it privately like last week. Sometimes I just wish I was like a normal fan where I can just <laughs> turn up, not have to read anything on social media and then watch the game and then kind of go home and that's it. You know, because it, it does get a bit like that. You do get bogged down in it and it does make you feel a bit more negative about everything. And I totally get why people feel that way about the club and why they do pay more attention to the, the off-the-pitch stuff because it does matter. You know, you want the best interest of the club to always be at heart when it comes to the way things are done. And it, it did feel like everything was sort of blending into one where you had all that negativity from the Newcastle game and the way that the club handled just about everything on that day. You had the fact we got beat in that game, which obviously everybody has to live with. You've got to go into work and see your friends and your family who are Newcastle fans and, and take the shit as we did. And it just kind of, it does put a dampener on everything. And then we go and we, we lose against Hull. And who did we play before Hull? Ipswich. Ipswich, there we go. Which we, it was a, we actually played okay, but we threw away a 1-0 lead. So all that negativity, it's all kind of coming into together. Then you've got, then on top of all that, You've got the Beal thing where, you know, pretty much nobody wanted him to take the job in the first place. He's then doing press conferences and getting asked questions and coming out a bit defensive because, rightly or wrongly, he's been getting a lot of stick. And to me, I have I said this on the Twitter space the other night, so this is nothing new. But, um, you know, if I had to read people, well, I've seen people wishing death on him. I've seen photoshops being shared of him with a noose around his neck. Yeah, my family had to say all that shit online, then I wouldn't be happy either. So I kind of understand yeah. him coming out and defending himself. Whether he said the right words or not is another thing, but I don't blame the man for on a human level for defending himself. So all of that has kind of just clumped together and really put a dark cloud over the club coming into the Stoke game. Yep, three points and a decent performance, and all of a sudden you're kind of thinking less place, about eh? that. And you're thinking about, ooh, imagine we win, we win against Borough, and we sign some players this week, and yeah, it what a difference three points can make. I'm just, uh, yeah, just so happy with with what we've seen. I know I've rambled on a bit there, but like, I, I, more importantly than anything, I want to say Sunderland win games of football, and uh, yeah, it's been a good day, and I'm sure there'll be bad days this season coming up, um, but hopefully we have more good than bad, eh? and we stay about where we are. We're kind of just outside the playoffs, level on points with Coventry. That's where we need to be, because if by the end of the season we're in those playoffs, then everyone will be happy, and uh, maybe Michael Beale, maybe he might get a stay of execution and, and oh, maybe get to prove are, himself a bit more. You know, I've kind of shifted. I was never um, against Beale. I I wasn't necessarily for his appointment, but I wasn't in the camp that a number of people seem to have been in terms. Of he was, you know, the devil incarnate and. He was the worst person in the world you could possibly imagine taking over. Like you think you when you appointed Fred West or something. <laughs> but I, I'm kind of back. I really want him to succeed now because of all of the the shit he's had to put up with and all of the you know that volume of negativity. I, I really want him to succeed now. And I think if he, you know, I think he'll earn a lot of credit in people's eyes if he continues to stand up to it and get results and turns this around because it'll be a remarkable turnaround if he can. It would be unprecedented. I, I don't know about you, but I can't think of a. At any club, a manager getting that level of negativity from the off, no, it's, and it, then has it ever has it ever happened? Never mind, has it ever happened? Has it ever happened? Then they've managed to succeed. I, I, there probably maybe maybe a handful of examples, but I can't think of it at a big club. I can't I can't remember anything like this. I guess the only one I was thinking of was when Benitez went to Everton, where there was you know the the Everton fans obviously yeah. didn't want him because of his Liverpool yeah. connections and all that sort of stuff. But um, like we'll obviously we waiting. We'll wait and see how it transpires, but I'm, I'm very much, you know, backing him now because of the <laughs> amount of stick he's had from from yeah. certain sections of. Now like, I don't even know why it is. I know what we've talked about before, but is it because people have Rangers and Celtic connections and stuff like that, or is it the you know way he left QPR? I, I genuinely don't understand the the level of of negativity to it. But anyway, look, if if we can continue getting results like we got against Stoke. That's ultimately the most important thing. That overrides so much. Like you look at the Newcastle game and you know the fallout from that. If we'd beaten Newcastle on that day, yeah, there'd still be a bit of fallout, but it wouldn't be anywhere near the level 
the fume that you get because we we turned in the performance we did. And yeah, look, there's off field stuff that we talked about at the um, the supporters collective meeting in in midweek, which, as you said, there wasn't anything revelationary to come out of that. It was all fairly bog standard stuff and bog standard responses and all that sort of thing. And and Red and White Army had said they're considering chucking it all in if they don't get some level of action from the club. I think that was probably the most notable thing from from the whole meeting, really, because the club aren't acting on on what they're hearing from supporters. So you kind of would much rather it wasn't lip service and it was something productive. So hopefully that'll prompt some productivity from those meetings. But look, if we're winning, all of that, I say it's not completely insignificant, but it's relatively insignificant. There's obviously those issues with the, the club shop and the ticket office and the strips and you know all that sort of stuff. And they are, they're relevant. Of course they are. They're important. But they get magnified, don't they, if, if things aren't going right off on the pitch. And a few wins makes a world of difference. It does. Well, we'll be doing a, a transfer window deadline day live special on Twitter, uh, probably for the last three hours of the deadline on, is it Thursday, I think? I think I'm really Thursday, badly, badly prepared here. Um, but on deadline day, we will be live on Twitter, doing a live podcast. There'll be more than just me and Martin. There'll be a bunch of us on that one, and you can even get involved with that. So uh, we'll be firing up the links for that in the days leading up to deadline day. So make sure you get involved with that, because the normally good crap then. We kind of react to things as they're happening, and rather than you listening to uh, Sky Sports News talk about what's happened at Man U and Liverpool and all the rest of it, you can stick that on mute and you can listen to us instead, <laughs> take you through the last few hours of deadline day, hopefully with some things to talk about. I'm guessing, given how slow things have been to date, that it's just going to blow up in them last two yeah, days. and that um, You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and, and that for Sunderland, at least, we will we will be pretty busy with not just players coming in, but players going out. So hopefully we'll have plenty to talk about on that. So make sure you join us. And uh, yeah, we'll be back before Borough too. hopefully in in a good mood, talking about some new signings even. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, cheers, Martin. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, listeners. Uh, we'll see you later.